Turn in your Bibles this evening to the Gospel of Luke and chapter 22. Have a rather lengthy passage from verse 47 to the end of the chapter, verse 71, as we consider some of the elements of our Savior's suffering in our place as our substitute. Let's give our attention to the Word of God, Luke 22, beginning with verse 47. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? One of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said no more of this, and he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber? with swords and clubs. When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, And sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval... Of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly, this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him. And as they beat him, they blindfolded him and kept asking him, prophesy, who is it that struck you? And they said many other things against him, blaspheming him. When the day came, the assembly of the elders of the people gathered together, both the chief priest and the scribes, and they led him away to their council. And they said, if you are the Christ, tell us. He said to them, if I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not answer. But from now on, The Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. So they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, You say that I am. 
And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, once again, as hard and difficult as these words are, to read, to think about, to imagine that night and the suffering that our Savior went through for our sake. Yet, Lord, we thank you for these words and for the way in which they call our attention to the great love of Christ for his elect, that he was willing to endure all manner of emotional, physical, and spiritual pain for our sakes. Help us tonight as we look to your word that we might draw from it the wisdom and grace that you have purposed for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would expect that most of us here this evening are not strangers to the words of Isaiah 53, especially the staggering accuracy that this prophet was able to to, to manifest as he writes 700 years before Christ was born. And yet he is able to describe profoundly to us the pain and suffering that our Savior endured. As we come this evening to this portion of Luke's account of that pain and suffering, brothers and sisters, we are hearing and we are seeing Isaiah 53 being fulfilled. We are seeing what the prophet said, that he would be despised, that he would be rejected, that he would be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that he would be stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. I understand all of these events took place many years ago. But they are recorded here and in other places throughout the scriptures in order that you and I will never forget what the Lord Jesus Christ was willing to do for our salvation. Remember how the Nicene Creed puts it, that he left his father's throne, he came down from heaven for us and for our salvation. And we, that is what we are looking at here tonight. Don't forget what Christ has done to accomplish your redemption. Here is a portion of that cup of pain and sorrow That though Jesus asked his father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. This is part of the cup that our Savior drank 
in order for us to have eternal life. Now, beginning with verse 47 in chapter 22 and going all the way to the end to verse 56 in chapter 23, Luke is chronicling for us the emotional, the physical, and the spiritual suffering of Christ. And while just reading these words is not easy, how much more so to think of anyone being treated this way. Just, just to think of what we have just read and to imagine it taking place in front of us is troubling to us. But even more, when we realize that this was the Son of the living God, this was God himself in human form, the Lord Jesus, the image of the invisible God, freely and willingly submitting to this kind of hatred and vitriol and abuse from the hands of wicked men. That, my friends, demands divine help tonight for you and me to even understand what we're reading and to try and by God's grace penetrate into the depths of this great struggle our Savior endured. This evening we're going to consider the first three phases of the grief and pain that Christ endured on our behalf. The first thing that I want us to consider is he was betrayed by Judas. So beginning in verse 47, going down through verse 53, here is Isaiah 53.3, that the servant of Jehovah would be despised and rejected by men. The servant of Jehovah, the son of God, would be despised and rejected by men. Again, I, I would feel comfortable in thinking that many of us have experienced rejection in one form or another, rejected by a girlfriend or a boyfriend, rejected by perhaps a spouse, rejected by employers, rejected by coworkers, mistreated, abused in various ways. And my friends, rejection by anyone is a painful experience. But it is especially painful and especially difficult when we are rejected by someone who once claimed to be our friend. Perhaps you have tasted that bitterness in your own life. Now listen, Jesus knew the heart of Judas. He knew that he was not a true disciple. He knew that he would turn away. 
But even so, here was a man, this Judas Iscariot, here was a man who had for over three years, three years, enjoyed close and intimate communion with Christ, at least in his physical presence. Here was a man who had been taught the truth by Jesus. Here was a man who had seen his miraculous power, raising the dead, healing the sick, feeding 5,000 with a few loaves and a couple of fish. Here was a man, to borrow the language of Hebrews 6, who had tasted the powers of the world to come. And yet, for all of that, here was a man who now comes still pretending to be a friend of Jesus, and he betrays him into the hands of his enemies. And all of that he does with a kiss, a sign of affection. And yet he had already determined that was the way he would single Jesus out in the darkness of the night in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, the man that I kiss, that's him. Take him. Even Jesus seems to be amazed at this level of hypocrisy. And he turns to Judas and he says, Judas... Will you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? It, it, it's staggering to think the hardness of heart here and, and the, the hypocrisy that Judas had maintained. And brethren, what a painful rejection that betrayal must have been. Now, When other disciples realized what was happening, they respond in verse 49, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Should we fight back? Should we defend you against this betrayal? And Peter, like usual, not waiting for an answer, drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. This treachery was a painful rejection. But notice Jesus' response. Here is a very valuable lesson. When Jesus says, put away your sword and permit even this. Don't strike with the sword. That's not the answer to this situation. This is an important lesson for us because rejection can be hard. It can be painful. And the unregenerate man is almost always going to respond in kind. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back if I can. You are mean to me, I'm going to be mean to you. You say bad things to me, about me, to others, I'm going to say bad things about you to others. 
But that is not the example that Jesus gives us to follow. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, where Peter highlights this. Isn't it interesting that it's Peter who speaks about what he's learned from the example of Jesus? Look at verse 21, 1 Peter 2 and verse 21. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Verse 23, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. My friends, rejection can be hard. It can be hurtful. It can bring a lot of pain. But listen to what Peter is telling us. When you are rejected, when you are assailed, when you are lied about at work, don't fight back. Put your sword back in its sheath and commit yourself to him who judges righteously. It's very interesting what Jesus says to these soldiers who have come to arrest him with swords and clubs. Jesus said, verse 53, when I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me. But this is your hour. I don't think I've ever really read those words before with understanding. It's not the type of thing that jumps out in front of you. But when he says, this is your hour and the power of darkness, what he's saying is, this has been appointed. This has been been ordained by God. This is your hour, you men of darkness. And I am not going to resist it. He submitted to it because this is the cup his father had appointed for him to drink in order that we might be redeemed. So Jesus says this is the doctrine of God's promise. It helped Jesus in that hour to trust his father. It helped Peter so that later he would write those words that we have just read. It can help you and it can help me if we will learn it. Secondly, we have Christ being denied by Peter. So verses 54 through 62. In this next section, the emotional pain that our Savior experienced reached far beyond what he had experienced in the Garden of Gethsemane. Betrayal by a false friend is not necessarily all that surprising. People who do not know the Lord 
often act in a cruel way towards others. But here, it's Peter who denies the Lord. Here, what Christ had foretold back in verse 34, when he told Peter that the rooster would not crow this day until you deny me three times. What Jesus had foretold in verse 34 was now taking place. As the soldiers carry Jesus away, Peter follows at a distance. We're told in Matthew that all the disciples fled at that moment. They all deserted Christ when he needed them most. But Peter follows at a distance. They take Jesus first to the house of Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, and then to Caiaphas himself. It was kind of a a co-reign when it talks about the high priest that year. They both were in office, serving in that capacity. Annas first, and then Caiaphas second. Within a short period of time, when Jesus is first taken to the home of the high priest, Peter is questioned three times. Aren't you one of his disciples? Aren't you a follower of this Jesus of Nazareth? And three times, my friends, just think about that. Three times he's challenged. And three times he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't even know who this man is. It's very hard for us to understand how that could possibly be. Verse 60 and 61 tells us, as soon as Peter denied Jesus the third time, the rooster crowed. But that's not all. There's this interesting little phrase that at that moment, When Jesus turns, looks at Peter after the third denial. And I don't think that you and I can rightly imagine the pain and the sorrow that would have been in Jesus' heart at that moment. To be Betrayed by Judas was one thing. But to be denied by one of your closest friends, that is entirely another. And we're told that when Jesus looked at Peter, Peter went out and wept. Bitterly. Unlike Judas, Peter remembered the words of Jesus. And more than likely, he remembered very well how he had so vehemently protested that that would never happen. And yet it did. And he went out and wept bitterly. My friends, I think there are a couple of things for us to take note of here. One is to realize God 
is grieved by our sin. If you remember how the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 4 and verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And what is the, the things that, that Paul is thinking of when he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit? He's thinking of bitterness. He's thinking of anger. He's, speaking of, he's thinking of malice. And in contrast, he says, be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted. Be forgiving. Forgive one another, just as Christ has forgiven you. God is grieved by our sins, just as Jesus was grieved by the sin of Peter's denials. But when there is true confession and when there is biblical repentance of those sins, God brings healing, He brings restoration. You can read about that in John 21 and 15 and following where Jesus, shortly before his ascension into glory, tells Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. I'm not done with you, Peter. I'm not angry with you, Peter. I'm grieved by what you did. But if you turn from that and seek me, you can resume your ministry of feeding my sheep, feeding my flock, and taking care of my people. It's interesting that on the day of the resurrection, the angels tell the women, go tell his disciples he is risen and tell Peter. Peter is singled out as one who needs to hear the reconciling work of Christ, the forgiveness of God. And there are many other examples that when God works in the heart and in the mind and in the life of his children, think about the psalmist, David, when he writes Psalm 51 and verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart. These he will not despise. And when that broken, sorrowful heart is accompanied with earnest prayer, create in me, O God, a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. God brings restoration. And later we hear from the psalmist in Psalm 130, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. My friends, you may be sitting here tonight, perhaps weeping inside because of your sin. There is forgiveness with God for sin when we listen and follow his instruction. Well, the Lord Jesus had been betrayed by Judas. and He had been denied by Peter. But the cup of suffering was not yet full. And so we look at our third, final point. Christ is mocked 
beaten, blasphemed by the Jewish leaders. You know, if you've been here over the series that it's been weeks, days now that the chief priests and the scribes have been wanting to kill Jesus. They've been wanting to take him. But every time they wanted to do that, there was always a a massive crowd of supporters and people surrounded him. Judas has now given them a time and place where they will have an opportunity to take Jesus privately. These soldiers, these chief priests, these scribes and elders were wicked men. They were, as Jesus called them elsewhere, children of their father, the devil. These were not friends of God or of Jesus. And even knowing that, when we read the way that these men treated the king of glory, I don't know about you, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to even imagine this taking place. The very people that Jesus came to to show the way of salvation to rejected him and reviled him with with anger and with with hatred. In verses 63 and following, we read that the guards took him. They bound him hand and foot. He could not defend himself. And then what did they do? They began to mock him. They began to beat him. The word literally means to strike with the fist. These men were punching Jesus as hard as they could with their fist. They struck him in the face. They blasphemed him. They said everything mean and hateful about him that they could possibly think of. And we all know he could have destroyed them. With one word, he could have summoned 10,000 angels to come to his defense. But like a lamb led to the slaughter, He opened not his mouth. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted for you and for me. Our Savior endured this treatment in order to obtain our redemption. He who knew no sin was made to be sin that we might be reconciled to God. This brutal, harsh treatment went on through the night and at dawn he was brought before the Sanhedrin. Remember again, this is a a council made up of the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. And there he is ridiculed and taunted. 
There they ask him, are you the Christ? You see how Jesus answers? If I tell you, you will not believe. My friends, if you want a good example of Romans 8 verse 7, here it is. When Paul tells us that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. These men hated Jesus Christ. They despised everything about him. And they treated him with all the hatred and and misery and shame that they could bring to bear upon him. And Jesus says... From here on, after this, you are going to see the Son of Man at the right hand of God. The power on high. Now that response may not have registered poignantly with us, but it did with them. Because they knew exactly what he was claiming. He was claiming deity. He was claiming to be the promised Messiah. He was claiming to be the servant of Jehovah who is mentioned in Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And hence the question, are you then the son of God? And Jesus said, you say that I am. At this point, they say, we we don't need to hear anymore. This man deserves to die. Take him to Pilate. The Jews could not crucify anyone on their own authority. They had to have approval from the Roman government. This is only the beginning of his misery and his pain. But I trust it begins to give you some sense. As the hymn writer says, mine, mine was the transgression. My treason, Jesus. I crucified him. Brothers and sisters, it's because of our sin that Jesus endured this grief, this sorrow, and this pain. And now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father on high. And one day, will come again and we will see him and we will be with him forever. If we are trusting in him, if we have confessed our sin, repented of those sins and looked to Jesus, he will take us as his own and we will know an everlasting blessing 
and favor from his hand. Well, let's pray together. Father, we do thank you again for a great Savior, one who was willing to endure the worst conceivable pain and, and ill treatment at the hand of wicked men in order that he might redeem us from our sins and bring us safely to glory. Would you bless us as we think upon these things and in the coming weeks as we see yet more and more intensely the suffering that our Savior endured, even the forsaking of God. We ask that you would give us great mercy and that you would give us understanding of these deep truths. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.